Uh, you can open your Bibles again, please, and look at Romans 8, uh, read from verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Last week we were speaking about uh, the security that we can have as children of God, and we were looking at the difference that it makes to know that we are his children, uh, and to live as his children rather than to live as slaves, uh, people who are uh, the slave, somebody who is seeking to earn uh, God's acceptance and always striving by their own performance to know that they're loved by God. Whereas the son, on the other hand, is someone who is secure in the, the love of God. And we saw that in that great uh, paradigm parable, the, the, the parable of the, the two sons, that there really is an example, two examples of how you can miss out on knowing the father as your father, how you can miss out on that sonship. And you can lose your sonship by running wild. You can do the prodigal bit and you can go off into the far country and everybody knows about it. It's very obvious. But you can also be like a, an elder brother. You can have the, the mindset of a slave. So although you're at home and you're doing religious stuff and you're in church and people think that you're pretty good, actually your relationship with God uh, is not one of child to a father, but you're slaving, you're performing in order to win, to prize from him his love and acceptance. And the message, uh, I think, was clear last time, uh, go to the cross with your sin. Go to the cross with your sin, receive forgiveness and the, the imputed righteousness of Christ and live as a son not as a slave. But suppose you do that. Suppose you go to the cross and you, you, you ask Jesus uh, to, to forgive your sin and, and uh, receive God as your heavenly Father. Uh, you've done that and you're still plagued with doubts. Uh, and you still kind of go back and forward and lack security. Uh, well, we're going to look at the, that uh, issue this morning. Uh, it's the, the issue of having assurance, and it's a very real, uh, practical uh, issue for many people. I know uh, many a true Christian uh, who is troubled by this issue of assurance. And essentially the problem is this. Uh, I say, I know that a true Christian can be secure in God's love, but maybe I'm not a true Christian. Maybe I didn't truly believe. That's, that's usually how uh, it's, it's uh, played out. 
You might know this uh, song by Whitney Houston about uh, lack of assurance in human love. And if you do know it, please restrain yourself from joining in and singing. Uh, how will I know? Don't trust your feelings. How will I know? How will I know love can be deceiving? How will I know? How will I know if he really loves me? I say a prayer with every heartbeat. I fall in love whenever we meet. I'm asking you what you know about these things. How will I know if he's thinking of me? I try to phone, but I'm too shy, can't speak. Falling in love is all bittersweet. This love is strong. Why do I feel weak? You know, it's about human love, but actually it's quite typical of how many people feel when they're lacking assurance of God's love. You know, how will I know? How do I really know? I need to know. In fact, the person who, uh, in certain church traditions, walked up to the altar 27 times, you know, to, to become a Christian because they're simply insecure uh, in their heart about whether God loves them, whether they're really a Christian. You see, the stakes are high because uh, there are different groups of people uh, where <coughs> there is self-deception uh, going on. There are people that are quite sure and are therefore unconcerned as to whether or not they're Christians. They're quite sure they are Christians, that God loves them, but they aren't Christians. And Jesus warned that many people would be exposed as unbelievers on the Day of Judgment. And, and even at that point, and this is amazing, on the Day of Judgment they'll try and plead their case. So deceived have they been. And you do see that. I, when I did one of my placements when I was training for Churches Called Ministry, I remember being in a church in Deeside, and what struck me was that on a communion Sunday, uh, droves of people came out we never saw at any other time. And they were blissfully uh, oblivious to how inappropriate it was on that day of all days uh, to turn up as though it were to check in, uh, because, well, we're Christians, because we're members of this kirk. That was all that uh, mattered to them. There are people who are sure that they're Christians when they're not. Uh, there are times when, when we ourselves are convinced about uh, people that they're Christians, and then subsequently uh, their decisions and their their, their, their own uh, acknowledgement of things shows that they weren't. We would have been taken in for quite a long time. We thought they were Christians. Turns out that they weren't. And there are true Christians uh, who for long periods of time and with great struggles uh, have a real issue with this matter of assurance whether they have truly believed and are saved. And the Holy, Speech, the Holy Spirit is our teacher in this respect. Uh, he is the spirit of adoption, and he comes to reassure us of our sonship. And that's what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing us assurance that we are the children of God. And if you struggle with, with uh, your feelings, uh, if you struggle with uh, this thought, uh, did I really believe? Am I really a Christian? And this sermon is really for you. This is, this is the basis of our assurance. 
John Calvin uh, in his Institutes got a lovely uh, paragraph, really, a sweet paragraph, where he's talking about the role of the, the Holy Spirit uh, in bringing us assurance. And this is what he writes. First, he is called the Spirit of Adoption, because he is the witness to us of the free benevolence of God with which God the Father has embraced us in his beloved, only begotten Son, to become a Father to us. And he, that is the Spirit, encourages us to have trust in prayer. In fact, he supplies the very words so that we may fearlessly cry, Abba, Father. For the same reason, he is called the guarantee and seal of our inheritance, 2 Corinthians 1, 22. Now, there are three evidences, uh, three pointers to assurance that the spirit of adoption, as our teacher, supplies for us. Uh, these are, first of all, the very act of faith itself. Uh, secondly, uh, the evidences of a new obedience to our Father. And then thirdly, what is referred to here as the witness of the Spirit. So the very act of faith itself, uh, the evidences of a new obedience and the witness of the Spirit. Faith itself, you see, the act of faith itself uh, is, uh, and it's important to remind ourselves of it, is uh, something which has assurance uh, built into it. Uh, there is, in the act of faith, uh, a grain of our assurance, because believing and trusting is something which God enables us to do. It's not something which can be manufactured, because to believe, we must believe that God is good, and that he uh, is the one who will receive those who come to him. Now, that is something which is supernaturally given, because we have an enemy who is doing all that he can to persuade us that God is not like that. We have an enemy who wants to persuade us that God is hard and unyielding and will, uh, will require all kinds of hoops to be uh, jumped through and so on. And that has been his strategy since the beginning. Uh, since the first successful assault on uh, Adam and Eve, uh, this has been one of his principal means of attack. Make the Christian doubt that God has a fatherly care for you as his child. In the parable of the talents uh, in Matthew 25, uh, the servant who hid his talent explains his action by saying, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Hard man. Harvesting where he never sowed and gathering where he's not scattered seed. Now there's no evidence at all in the parable that, that, the, that the master had that character. Uh, it's simply a, a, a false conclusion. But Satan loves to bring us to that false conclusion that God is a hard man. He is a hard taskmaster. Uh, he will not receive uh, sinners. 
Even the returning prodigal in Luke 15 comes home and he's thinking, uh, even on the journey home, that he'll have to sign up as a farmhand. He'll have to pay his dues. So it's important to remember, uh, when we're struggling like this, that when we, uh, when we look to Jesus, and when we uh, engaged in that act of, of trust, there was something that God was doing in our hearts at that point. We were enabled to believe that God is good and is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There isn't faith itself uh, assurance. It's a remarkable fact that anyone uh, should come and commit themselves to God. It is a work of the Spirit. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a, has a lovely passage in Silver Chair. I think we may have shared it before. And in the, the passage, uh, Jill, uh, the girl, has entered a strange new world and uh, is deathly thirsty. And she meets Aslan, the, the lion, the Christ figure. And while she's drawn to drink, she is at the same time filled with fear and alarm. Okay, so th there is this obstacle that she, she has to, to overcome. And this is how the dialogue goes. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. Uh, may I, could I, would you mind going away while I do? said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realised that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Well, will you promise not, not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? she asked. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry, it just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Joe. Then you'll die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. When we come to God, we come against all our fears and all kind of uh, fightings and fears within, uh, against the, the, the devices of Satan who keep us away. And it is those who drink of this life-giving stream who are saved. And they drink because they have believed in Jesus. They have believed that Jesus Christ uh, reveals the Father. That in Jesus' gentleness, winsomeness, uh, in his love of sinners, uh, in his reaching out to the lost and to the weak and the feeble, there is a perfect uh, mirror of the Father's character. Remember that moment when Jesus is addressing those who are afraid that they will be left as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans, 
Uh, Jesus says to them, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So there is that in simply trusting when we look back in our lives, which brings us assurance. And that's important for us to remember. Uh, Professor John Murray wrote this. However weak may be the faith of a true believer, however severe may be his own condition, he is never, in regard to consciousness, in the condition that preceded the exercise of faith. The consciousness of the believer differs by a whole diameter from that of the unbeliever. Or in plain speak, the the act of believing in Jesus in the first place is an evidence that we're truly sons and daughters. That grace has been given to us to show that Christ is trustworthy, that Jesus reveals the Father, and therefore the Father will be good and will receive us. That's an important place to start. Faith in Christ has within it uh, uh, assurance. And secondly, assurance uh, is built up by obedience. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the Spirit brings holiness. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We've done this already, we've looked at this before. To be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, It's not talking about guidance here. Uh, It's not talking about uh, hearing uh, voices telling us about what what job we're to take or where we're to live. But this is simply day-to-day obedience prompted by and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So there is this connection between obeying, uh, evidencing new holiness, being changed, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit uh, to obey God, being responsive to the Word and sacrament. There is in that obedience, assurance given to us that we are children of God. Uh, This kind of life uh, feeds assurance. But if on the other hand you're careless, you know, you've trusted Jesus and then you simply live as before. You know, you you follow the, the, the pattern, the lifestyle that you had in your pre-Christian days, then it stands to reason, does it not, that you would not feel assurance as you might have if you were following close. Is it surprising, friends, that God feels distant uh, if we've wandered away from him? Of course not. Uh, So strong levels of assurance aren't compatible with low levels of obedience. Obey God, uh, follow his commands, seek to please him, and we will know his assurance. And this is repeated again and again, especially by John in his first epistle. This is how we know who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So, you will find that all the way through the New Testament, that obedience will feed assurance. You want to, if you want to have a, a, a Christian life, 
which is stable and which is going somewhere and which uh, is marked by, by joy and peace and love in the Holy Spirit, then obey the Lord. Keep close to him. Be responsive to his commandments. But notice this, and, and this, is, this is going to sound like a, a kind of neat distinction, but it's a very practical point. Uh, although living daily in obedience is a fruit of genuine faith, in God, it's not the proof of being saved. Okay? Obeying God's commandments, doing the things that are in the Bible, that in itself is not the proof of someone being saved. Obedience can't be separated from faith in Christ. So faith in Christ is always the first in order. We believe, and as a result of believing, uh, we are led by the Holy Spirit, and that's evidenced by a changed life, by the fact that we are doing the things that God commands us. Now, supposing you are struggling with assurance, supposing you're looking at your life and you're not seeing the kind of evidences that there should be in someone who's a Christian, and you're worried, and boy, you should be worried. If the evidences aren't there, you should be worried. What do you do? Well, the response is not to do acts of obedience so that you'll feel that you're a Christian the response is to go to Jesus the response is to, to seek to have a better grip of the Lord Jesus to come to know him better and from there as night as day follows night will come acts of obedience and this is important really important you can't separate uh, obedience from faith in Christ. And faith in Christ always comes first. So when we're feeling a lack of assurance, we go to Christ and we seek him. We seek his face. Uh, we, we go to the places, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Word, where we meet with Jesus and we long to have communion with Jesus. And as we have that better grasp on Jesus, from there will flow acts of obedience assurance from that point uh, will come like a rising tide so faith itself has assurance in it because God has to grant faith obedience when we're obeying God that feeds our assurance you wouldn't have assurance if you're away from God uh, living in the old ways but if you uh, Come uh, to obey with gladness, your assurance will be fed. And thirdly, there's the promise of the, the witness of the Spirit uh, in these verses. And it's a joint witness, it's a joint testimony. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So, two, two witnesses. And maybe that this has got something to do with Deuteronomy 19.15. Uh, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see the same kind of thing in John's epistle when he talks about uh, three witnesses. So the Spirit's testimony aligning with the testimony of our own spirit, assuring us that we are the children of God. <coughs> now we're, we're thinking... 
in all these weeks, uh, we're thinking about our adoption in different ways. And in a Roman adoption, which is always in the background of Paul's thinking when he's talking about our sonship, there were witnesses present. And the witnesses had a very important part to play. Uh, because if the adoptive parent died, then there could be, there could be some doubt as to whether the, the, the son was a true heir, you know, whether he was entitled to the property because well, the adoptive parent wasn't there any longer. But if that happened, the witnesses were called and they vouched for the fact that this is indeed the adopted son. Now, practically, what, what is the witness of the Spirit? Well, it's not something like a voice in your head uh, saying to you, you are a child of God. That would be special revelation beyond what we have in the Bible, which we're not promised. Uh, nor is it to be thought of something which is uh, apart from or is, is against reason. You know, a buzz or, or a high that is unrelated to anything apart from itself. You know, an emotional high in itself is not the witness of the Spirit. But, bearing these things in mind, it's nothing less uh, than a feeling or an emotion. Because we're talking about the experiential heart of Christianity. And it may come to us with great force, and even dramatic force in some instances. Um, and what it is, it's a description of the difference that there is between uh, a nominal churchgoer, you know, someone who turns up and pays lip service to the truths in the Bible, and someone who is a believer who has been born again of the Spirit of God and know what, knows what it is to thrill to the presence of God in uh, his word and in prayer and in worship. It's the kind of thing that Peter has in mind when he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Something that can't be put into words. It's something which is felt. Jonathan Edwards, the theologian of revival, he said, it's not he that has heard a long description of the sweetness of honey that can be said to have the greatest understanding of it, but he that has tasted, taste and see, the Lord is good. So the Spirit testifies with our spirit when we find new intimacy in prayer and to come close to God with an assurance that our prayer is getting through, that God is near. Intimacy in prayer. And one of the results of this uh, inner work of the Holy Spirit, this testimony of the Spirit, this witness of the Spirit, will be that in a time of crisis, the believer automatically, instinctively calls out to God. It's the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Uh, it's his ministry. He, it is, that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. And the word cry out uh, is a significant word because it's, it's, a, it's a strong word. It's a cry for help in a moment of difficulty. 
And it's not used much in the New Testament, but it's used, for example, of the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus about her daughter. Matthew 15, 22 says, She came to him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Uh, it's, it's the appeal that we make to God as our Heavenly Father when we're at the end of ourselves, when we're at our wit's end. And we, by, enabled by the Spirit, we cry out, Father, Abba, Father, help. Jesus praying in the garden, Abba, Father, when Jesus is all alone, when his friends have deserted him, when Satan is near and is trying to pull him off track, Jesus prays, uh, Abba, Father. And the, although the, the precise word isn't the, the same uh, when it's used, when the, the, the word call or cry out is used in Luke 23, verse 46, it's the same sense. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's quite interesting when you, you follow the, the, the words that you, Jesus uses to, to address God on the cross. Uh, there is a time on his, on his, uh, in his suffering on the cross where he simply cannot take the word Father to his lips. Until this moment of triumph and victory, when he is about to die, uh, it is the Father to whom he cries out. And it's this uh, wonderful note of triumph uh, in the very end as the Spirit is testifying to his enduring relationship with God the Father. He's come out of the darkness and the forsakenness. He now addresses God. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so that's why the Spirit works in our lives. When we have no strength left, when we're lying in the intensive care unit of the hospital and we're drained and we uh, have no energy to pray, we whimper, Father. And the Spirit in that act is testifying powerfully to the fact that we are a child of God. Uh, in every condition of weakness, when we're in darkness of soul, when we're at our wit's end, uh, when all we can do is cast ourselves on God, we whisper weakly, Father. And that is the witness of the Spirit. When uh, you are in the middle of the night and you're crying yourself to sleep and you know that there's no one else that you can turn to, and you turn spontaneously to your Father in heaven, the Spirit is witnessing with your spirit that you are the Son, you are the daughter of God. The Spirit is witnessing with our spirit. And isn't that so characteristic of Bible faith? It's in our weakness. It's in our weakness that genuine Christianity is demonstrated. It's not when you're uh, singing in a, in a mega stadium, one of the, the, the great hymns with you know, 10,000 other people, and you are, you, you're knowing this emotional high. It's, it's, uh, it's just so good. But it's when you're at 
the end of your tether, when you have no strength left, and yet, at that point, the Spirit breaks through and points you to the one who can be appealed to as Father. That is the witness of the Father, of the Spirit. Assurance is something then that Christians can lack for periods of time. And so we, we oughtn't to, to panic. But you know, it's our duty to seek assurance, uh, to live with a strong uh, sense that we are children of God and that God loves us. You know, that's, it, it's not acceptable to live in a, in a low level of assurance. We're to seek assurance of faith. It's the ministry of the spirit of adoption to bring us assurance. And he does that by the very fact that he brought us to the point of trusting at all, by the evidences of a new obedience in our lives, and by that intimacy in prayer, and that instinctive turning to the Father in times of desperate weakness or darkness, he assures us that we are indeed the children of God. May God bless to us. <laughs> preaching of his holy word. <laughs>